I'm here today with Angela Denker, author of a book titled Red State Christians, A Journey into White Christian Nationalism and the Wreckage It Leaves Behind from Broadleaf Books. This is an expanded version of Angela's original Red State Christians that was released in 2019. Angela is a Lutheran pastor and veteran journalist. She's written for many publications, including Sports Illustrated, The Washington Post, and Fortune Magazine. She's also appeared on CNN, BBC, and Sky News to share her research on politics and Christian nationalism in the United States. I'm also very happy to say that Angela will be one of our featured speakers at our upcoming How to Write Dangerously online conference. You can follow Angela on Twitter at Angela underscore Denker, D-E-N-K-E-R. So, Angela, thanks so much for joining us. It's really great to uh, catch up with you again. Yeah, good to see you. Um, congratulations on the new book um, or the expanded version of the previous book, uh, however you want to look at it. Um, but before we get into that, um, is there anything else that you'd like to tell folks about yourself besides what I mentioned? Oh, wow. Uh, well, I'm a mom of two. I have a nine-year-old and six-year-old boys, uh, live in Minneapolis, uh, and I, one of the things that's neat for me that, you know, goes alongside the writing work that I do, the research work that I do, is that I feel like I'm really living out a lot of what I talk about in my writing, because I live, I currently live in Ilhan Omar's congressional district, so politically, a pretty liberal area. Uh, and then I actually commute an hour west into rural Minnesota to serve in a county where two thirds of the voters uh, voted for Trump in 2020. So I really uh, kind of have a foot in both the urban and rural divide. I, you know, live really intensely in both communities. And I, I hope, you know, sometimes it's difficult, but I hope it really gives me a unique perspective into America in 2022. I'm sure it drives many challenges for you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, gas prices haven't been. <laughs> <laughs> Only one of the challenges. Yes. Yeah, they're going down. <laughs> So, as I mentioned, the title of this new version is Red State Christians, A Journey into White Christian Nationalism and the Wreckage It Leaves Behind. So, um, what motivated you to come out with the expanded version of the original book? Yeah, so I feel really um, lucky to get the opportunity to go back and to make some additions, to make some uh, changes to what I had written in 2019. Uh as, as you know, as everyone who is with us knows, um, the world has changed a lot since August of 2019 when this book came out. And when the publisher uh, came to me and said, you know, we'd like to release a new edition, uh, I really wanted to sort of be able to view this 2019 book through the lens of A, covid be the murder of George Floyd and this larger racial reckoning that has been happening in the U.S. and the sort of backlash against that, particularly from white Christians. Uh, and then the third thing is the January 6th insurrection. And so I think as I look back at each of these chapters and all the places that I went, you know, I traveled the country in 2018 uh, to speak with Christians all over the country, particularly in conservative contexts, I can see just each part of the book uh, really being shaped anew by these three trends. Uh, and you can see the transition in the subtitles. So the first subtitle, which I, um, I quibbled with them on a bit, the initial subtitle of the book was Understanding the Voters Who Elected Donald Trump. I really wanted it to be Meet the Voters Who Elected Donald <laughs> Trump. I, I approached the book as a journalist and also as a pastor. 
Uh, and so I saw myself really attempting, you know, back in that first edition to, to make introductions to different Americans. And I really wanted to lift up voices within this book uh, that weren't being covered elsewhere uh, mm. through a pastoral, theological, journalistic lens. Um, and now this new subtitle, I thought it was really important to reference white Christian nationalism uh, in a way that I, I would not have understood when the book first came out. Sure, sure. And one of my, as I address in some of the new material, um, one of the main opportunities that I had that, again, I'm really grateful for is my own understanding has changed and grown over these last three years uh, in understanding the role of race and the role of racism. And, you know, when I first wrote the book, I was a little bit timid around really talking frankly about the role of race when it comes to this movement. Um, and I think I thought that that if I if I spoke more directly, that I might alienate readers. And um, I think in my own spiritual journey, my own faith journey over these past three years, um, I really felt, you know, Jesus calling me to speak a more clarified truth and to be more courageous with my words, to not always be so measured. And I think um, I'm just really grateful to have that opportunity, even though it's been, you know, the wreckage it leaves behind for me has been personal, not only political or pastoral. Well, this is really insightful. And I hope during our conference, you know, as I mentioned, it's titled How to Write Dangerously. You know, and you just talked about kind of an evolutionary, you know, thought process within your own writing yeah. on that dimension. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I love that title. And I think it's it's honest because it is dangerous. Um, and I think that I'll just speak for myself, um, you know, as a white middle class person, I didn't always have to confront that danger in ways that I have since, again, covid the murder of George Floyd and the insurrection. Um, and I experienced, I write about in the introduction um, about when I was on CNN, that a portion of that interview was lifted on Breitbart and that I, you know, that was the first time that I really experienced a lot of violent threats and sort of this, and I've experienced it again and again, sort of over the years um, where you'll write something and it just sort of unleashes like a troll army online and social media. And after it happens a couple times, you know, you sort of learn, okay, I can mute this. I can, but it's been, um, it's been coupled with that real threat of violence that we, we all as Americans saw on January 6th. And we continue to see even in rural America, there's a lot of movement among militia groups who are really looking to infiltrate into rural America and into rural America po uh, politics. And so, um, that sense of danger, I think it's important to be honest about it. And I also think, you know, in some ways, those of us who are white Christians, we're catching up to like mm -hmm. recognize the danger that has always inherently been with us. And for white women, you know, we have, we have denied um, the, the ways that we in our bodies have both been part of sort of the marginalized group and then both also promoted marginalization of others. So. Mm -hmm. So back to the first book, you know, yeah. what overall has been the reaction to it? Yeah, it's, it's been, um, it's been really great. And it's been a really, you know, journey that I've been grateful to have been on. Uh, 
in, in, initially after the book came out, I was doing a lot of traveling, a lot of speaking at churches and universities and colleges, uh, at, you know, libraries. And one of the things that was really encouraging for me is that a lot of the places that invited me to come and speak about the book uh, were, you know, very conservative areas and places where sometimes I was, I had to be humbled and surprised to remember that people really had a desire to talk about this stuff. Mm. And it was, it was often in, in places or even at colleges that would have been considered more quote unquote liberal, where I would get smaller turnouts than I would at, you know, the university where I went to Lenore Ryan university in North Carolina. And I came there shortly after uh, there had been a Trump rally there. Um, And I just saw, you know, when people live in close proximity to one another, which is something I wrote about in the initial edition extensively, that these relationships do create an opportunity to have more dialogue and do create an opportunity to talk about what's right around us. Um, So that response was really encouraging. As the 2020 election uh, came forward, I sort of experienced a resurgence of interest in the book, which was great. It's interesting. um, Now you're starting to see the GOP politicians latch onto the phrase Christian nationalism and, you know, proudly proclaim like we are Christian nationalists. You'll see that among some even pastors and conservative Christian leaders. And it's really interesting to be in this place where I, you know, in 2018 wrote the first chapter of this book, which is called, I want to make sure I get the first chapter title correct. Uh, It's called Christian Nationalism and Fourth of July Church in Dallas, Texas. (laughs) And so it's, I know people have been talking and writing about these things for a long time. And I'm grateful to see it being written about and to get this opportunity Mm -hmm. to continue to share the work that I've done. (laughs) I'm really glad you you have that opportunity too. Um, What material did you add to the second book? Can, Can you go into that in a little bit more detail? Yeah, I can. Uh, So I have a a new introduction, what they've called, um, I think it's the preface to the 2022 edition. And then I have a new conclusion to the 2022 edition. Uh, And then there's some some minor stuff within the chapters, but mostly it's an extensive new preface and a new conclusion. Um, And again, those are both really helping to frame the rest of the book through the 2022 and beyond lens of covid of the murder of George Floyd and of the January 6th insurrection. Uh, And the conclusion of the book really goes into, you know, this idea of the wreckage that it leaves behind. Uh, And I write about three deaths that I experienced in my personal life and in my congregation that sort of brought forward to me this sense of, you know, we're really, we're really in a, a place of, as American Christians, as white Christians, we're really in a place of we're experiencing a lot of death and a lot of despair. Um, and we're experiencing it, it's getting harder and harder to find the gospel proclaimed, the gospel, you know, shed of the idolatry of nation or of violence or of money or of political ideology. Um, and so I always ultimately get around to an, a hope for resurrection. Um and I, I, the new version still wants to get to that place, um, but it really, it really wants to dwell in like, okay, three years later after this book has come out, what has happened in the life in my life and in the lives of the people that I spoke to, 
And a lot of it is we're looking around and we're surveying the wreckage of what has been left behind. Not like things have gotten a lot better over the last three years. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't know. A lot better. Say more. <laughs> well, it's just like you said, I mean, just the, all the terrible things that have happened over the last yeah. three years. You know, it's just yeah. not a lot of things have gotten better. Okay. Uh, gotcha. Yeah. No, I thought you said a lot of things have gotten better. No, I was, no. Oh, I mean, hope. Tell me. Tell me what's going on. Yeah. Gotten yeah. Better. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> no, I <don't. laughs> there are some, you know, good things, obviously, too, but just a lot of serious issues that, you know, we thought they were worse than they'd ever been. And now they're worse than that. I mean, that's, yes. that's, that's not an accurate portrayal, I know, but, yeah. but in any event, um, I'd like to read a couple of endorsements for the book. And, and some of these, I think may have been for the first book. I'm not sure if it's the first or the second, but I think they're very important and telling. Um, this one's for publishers weekly, um, an enriching debut. Danker etches a vivid and revealing picture of the moral bargains struck by evangelical Christian Americans. Uh, first of all, you know, great things that they said about your book, but can you talk a little bit about the moral bargains that you cover in the book? Yeah, I like the use of that word bargain because um, none of this conversation is complete without an economic analysis and without an understanding of the role of money and wealth in everything that we're talking about. Um, and again, I mean, I was very careful, especially in the first edition of the book, to look at sort of the ordinary people who get swept up into this and those who are profiting off of it. And I guess when you're talking about, um, you know, when we're talking about how things have felt, felt murky and felt sad, I have recently been thinking about, you know, the famous Dr. King quote where it says, uh, he says the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Mm -hmm. And I think with uh, the Alex Jones trial where you're finally seeing one of these people who has, just lied indiscriminately uh, for profit uh, has not believed his own lies. I think we saw that so much with COVID. Um, so you're starting to see some of these, these lies being held accountable. I think that's encouraging. Um, but the moral bargains. Yeah. I mean, bargain that word, it, it speaks to what, what, all of us, you know, I'll put myself in here too, what all of us have been willing to bargain away in order to secure a measure of wealth for ourselves. Um, and I just think that it's, there's a theoretical understanding of that, but there's also just a real acknowledgement of the role of money and wealth in this whole conversation mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. how the economic analysis is a part of this. Yes. I mean, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, that's a topic that, I would like to follow up with you on separately um, later on. <laughs> um, uh, here's another quote. This one's from our friend Lisa Sharon Harper, who also, by the way, will be speaking at our upcoming How to Write Dangerously con conference. Um, she says, Angela Denker's Red Christians, excuse me, Red State Christians is a pure revelation. Denker's empathetic ear combines with dogged reporting to reveal Trumpism's genesis and the nature of its stronghold in red state America. The book is essential reading for all Americans. How would you describe the nature of the Trumpism stronghold on some Americans? Yeah, I think um, I, I would not have expected. So I, I would have expected Trump's numbers 
to decrease more than they did in the 2020 election. Uh, and you really saw those numbers hold strong and even increase in some. And so I think when you're talking about Trumpism post-2020 versus post-2016, uh, there was a sense, you know, and I think you see this in some of the early books that came out about the 2016 election. There was a sense that, wow, what was this crazy thing that happened in American politics? And instead of acknowledging that um, Trump exposed a trend and he exposed, you know, some of who we are as Americans rather than creating something entirely new. And so, you know, the work of people like Kristen Dumay and uh, Jesus and John Wayne, uh, the work of other historians in documenting the past, I mean, Robert P. Jones and White Too Long, um, really documenting the long-standing history behind where we are today as as Americans. I think um, that gets into why this is such a stronghold, because it's been in the works for a long time, and it's attached to so many other trends. Um, and also attached to, I was talking to another pastor this morning, I'm at a, a Lutheran conference right now, um, and he and I both serve in rural contexts, and we were just talking about um, that there's, I, I think you can't, you can't detach that from this sense of despair and this sense of, um, you know, high rates of, of drug addiction, of alcoholism, all of these things that are not excuses for white America, but they're realities uh, that I don't think we have still understood how to talk about in a way that's helpful. No question. No question. And I know what I heard from people outside of the United States when the 2016 election occurred was just they were like aghast. They just couldn't believe it. Mm -hmm. and I was pretty shocked myself. But I mean, um, that was definitely the um, consistent reaction that I heard from everybody that I know from outside the United States. Mm -hmm. So um, finally, uh, another quote, this one from Brian McLaren, who will also be speaking at the How to Write Dangerously conference. Um, we see a pattern here. Um, Brian says, Book, books like Angela's can help mend the tears, the tears in our social fabric if you'll dare to let her be your guide in a tour across the nation. So no question we have tears to mend. How would, your, how would you say that your book helps do that? Yeah, I think Brian and I were optimistic about that. I don't know <laughs> that it, uh, you know, I, I do. I've, I've become um, a little bit more cynical since, you know, I really did have a hope. I had a hope and I saw the conversations happening and I've seen, I've seen, you know, the openness that is possible, um, particularly in the local church and in local congregations. Um, but... <sighs> I think there's been an inability to acknowledge, and that's why, again, I wanted to use this word wreckage in the new title. Um, there's, an, there's been an inability to fully acknowledge, and I think I'll put this blame on, um, on church leaders in some cases and on Christian leaders, uh, and maybe this is where writing dangerously comes in, um, there's been an inability to fully acknowledge the depth of the pain and the human sorrow and the human sin um, that has that has happened around these trends in the last few years, uh, and so I think 
we're seeing some of that work come out with um, some of these movements, uh, the New Evangelicals movement, the movement around church too. Uh, we saw, you know, the SBC and the sex abuse crisis in the SB in the Southern Baptist convention. Uh, so there's like all this pain being thrown out into the world and Christian leaders have an opportunity to, to be a place for us. You know, Jesus says, uh, put my yoke upon you and Jesus will carry our burdens and we can bear one another's burdens together. Um, I think there's an opportunity to do that, but I think, um, you know, particularly among white Americans, we've been hesitant to enter into this work emotionally and we've made it be too theoretical, too academic and have been afraid to really enter into the emotion of what's happened in our families and in our communities. Mm -hmm. Well, for what it's worth, um, you know, books like yours and in the How to Heal Our Divides, you know, books that I've done, they're highlighting a lot of organizations are actually doing something. Yes. Know, trying to resolve some of these different. Um, but between books like yours, the other ones that you've mentioned, all the good books that have been written about anti-racism specifically, mm -hmm. at least there's a light shining on these issues stronger than what I've ever seen, it, at least in my life. And that's causing awareness and it's causing angst in a lot of um, territory. Um, things are going to continue to get worse, I think, a little bit before they start getting better. But I do, I do see hope in that finally we're being forced, whether we like it or not, to wreck, uh, wrestle with some of these things that have been swept under the rug for so long. Absolutely. And the wrestling is going to be hard and it's going to take a long time. But I, I do feel hope of more and more people are wrestling. You know, more and more people are paying attention to these things. And there's a lot of these organizations that are doing really good work, you know, to help mitigate, help bring back civility, um, et cetera, et cetera. So for what it's worth, I you know, I, I – was pretty pessimistic a lot of times during this too, but I'm feeling a little bit hopeful. Well, you're giving it to me, so keep preaching. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what would be the one thing you'd say you'd like readers to take away from the new version of the book? So when I was first speaking about the book and I would go to events, um, the most important thing that I wanted to communicate oftentimes was this truth that, you know, on its face sounds really axiomatic, but people, you know, as it sank, sank in, they kind of, oh, yeah. Um, I really wanted to, to help people to know Jesus is not American. <laughs> and so it begins. This the concept. <laughs> Bam. Um, it really begins this work of decentering ourselves from the role as savior and the role as, um, you know, always being on the right side. Rather than the world's not flat. <laughs> rather than um Where are you rather, been? <laughs> rather than recognizing our place as as empire you know um but so what i want people to take away from this new version especially people if they've looked at the first version or if they have been studying this stuff for a while the shift that i've i've become convinced is even more important and opens more doors into understanding and into growth and into better being able to follow jesus um, it's really interesting that Jesus is not white and that opens, you know, such a bigger truth. And I think gets more at the actual danger that we're in right now, because, um, 
you know, we've we've begun to unpack the history of this movement within American politics. But for me as a pastor, as a Lutheran, as a theologian, um, the bigger conversation is this is really a conflict between a theology of glory and a theology of the cross. And theology of glory, you know, we go back to AD 300 when Roman Emperor Constantine on his deathbed decides to adapt Christianity. And Christianity goes from being the persecuted minority religion of converted Jewish people for the most part and some Gentiles to the religion of empire and to the religion of power. And this alignment between which that same alignment between religious leaders and government leaders is the same alignment that crucified Jesus. Um, that, that begins this alignment of Christianity with empire. And that's, that lends itself to a theology of glory, which teaches that, if, if you follow Jesus, if you are a good Christian, quote unquote, then you're going to succeed in earthly goods. You're going to become wealthy. I mean, it's almost a way to understand the prosperity gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think mm-hmm. as Ecclesiastes says, nothing is new under the sun. <laughs> um, <laughs> really? But to understand, you know, that Jesus is not white, it helps move understanding this whole topic beyond just our understanding as Americans and into the threat of the global authoritarian movement that we saw with Victor Orban um, addressing, you know, CPAC a few weeks ago and to see the broader implications of what, what's happening in our world beyond, you know, understanding this as a partisan battle between Democrats and Republicans. We've really moved beyond that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I know you're in the throes of introducing this new version of the book, um, but are there any future projects that you're able to speak about yet or not? Yeah, I'm, um, I'm in works on my second book project, uh, which is a little bit less overtly political. Um, the working title is Disinheritance, What I Had to Lose to Find My Grandpa's God. And it traces the story of my grandpa, who had been a pastor, um, was very outspoken at the time of civil rights, Vietnam War. Uh, and he, was, he got divorced around this time, and he was sort of kicked out of churches. And... Mm-hmm you know, died as someone who felt utterly abandoned by the church wow. had told me, you know, I will never set foot in the Lutheran church again. Wow. And yet still remained at his heart, a pastor, wow. you know, from sending out these email sermons to being so rooted in the Bible to, you know, visiting folks in the hospital to in his last moments when he's in the hospital, he's praying with the doctors and the nurses for them. Wow. Uh, and it's sort of been this journey for me of since 2017 of leaving my large church that I was working at in Orange County, California, and from this really place of privilege within the church to leaving that job, to writing this book, to now working in rural America, um, <clears throat> and sort of finding my grandpa's story in my own story mm. and recognizing that perhaps the gospel that I'm looking to find is more in the, the rejection that he experienced than in what I used to see as my own potential success in a large church context. Wow. Wow. That's going to be a really emotional book for you to write. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things where um, your, your ancestors go with you and I, um, I'm just hopeful to find the right, the right place to put that out. And I look forward to sharing it um, hopefully in the near future. Yes, good, good, good. Well, please, you know, stay in touch with, with with that. I think that sounds really wonderful, very, really compelling book. I'm, I know it's going to be. Thank you. So, 
Again, the title of Angela's latest is Red Red State Christians, A Journey into White Christian Nationalism and the Wreckage It Leaves Behind. You can find Angela on Twitter on Angela underscore Dinker. So, Angela, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your work, and I'm always excited to be able to talk with you about it. Yeah, you too, and I'm looking forward to How to Write Dangerously. Yes, I think it's going to be a great conference. I'm really looking forward to it a lot. Thank you.